Hey Bill. How's it going? Hi. I'm okay. How about you? I'm okay. A yeah. Crazy time, you know. It is crazy. Yep. So, yeah. How how are you dealing with this situation? I mean, what are you well, doing? Well, uh, I mean, I'm lucky. I have this house kind of far out in Brooklyn, and it's. We're lucky the area is not so crowded, so we can go outside and there's trees and yeah. And then I find myself just playing my guitar more than ever, so that's good. <laughs> It's almost like remembering when I was, you know, 16 years old and just playing and playing and playing all the time. It's like there's nothing nothing else to do so it's sort of a reminder that i still love to play the guitar it's one of the first times when there's not some deadline where i have to prepare for something or and it so it's just playing just for the love of playing which is great i have so much more time to like i'll play a song over and over and over and over In the last 30 40 years everything is so rushed you know you learn something yeah faster and i would just stay with one thing all day i would play the same song all day and then oh wow i found there's something would reveal itself that i what didn't, kind of song was it that you played all day well i i was playing like uh someone to watch over me mm -hmm. um george gershwin song or yeah a few days ago i did this I said I don't have anything, I didn't have any gigs, but actually it was sort of a gig at home. I did this online fundraiser for New York musicians where I just played in my room here. So I was playing New York, New York, that the Frank Sinatra song. Yeah. I've probably played that. I, I don't really know that song, but I must have played it on some old gigs or, you know, you hear it so many times, but... I spent the whole day like trying to find the way he was singing it, the way he phrased it and tried to mm. write that down and stuff like that. And mm. So for thinking that I had that gig coming up, I was playing tunes related to that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to play New York, New York, you know? Yeah. So. It's a nice song. Mm. Um, how did it feel? How did it feel to play in that form? Um, well, it was a little, Uh, no, I was pretty stressed. I spent the whole day trying to set up with, I figured out a way I could put the microphone in the thing and try to get a decent, so it would sound okay. And in the end, nothing, nothing worked. And then the <laughs> website kept crashing and oh, no. I started like, you know, an hour late. I mean, the people were amazing. So in the end, it was just this frantic The it started and then the thing crashed. So then we gave up, but then I came back. So yeah. in the end, I just turned on my, I used the microphone built into the thing and I don't even know if it was, well, I, it, it was good. <laughs> When I, once I finally started playing, it was good. And we learned to adapt to these kind of situations. Yeah. Think yeah. differently. But the thing for me that's so difficult is just everything, my whole life, it's been about playing with other people, you know, so it's yeah. so hard to, like right now, 
bass player, Thomas Morgan, lives just, we're in the same neighborhood, and it's like we can't even get together to play, you know. It's, mm. We wave at each other on the street, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's awkward, so frustrating. Right? Seeing friends outside, yeah. you, you can't really yeah. connect. You, you want to say hi, but then also you want to hug somebody, you know. You want yeah, to hug friend. no, it's really. You can't. And you shouldn't. So, I mean, it's is it the same there, too? Same it's the same, thing? yeah. I mean, I think the situation is uh, sounds a bit worse in, in America right now. But, um, yeah, I think in, in on a weird level, we're all in the same boat for once. Yeah, that's know? what's With, amazing. The whole world is dealing. Yeah. Nobody's playing concerts right now. There's no concert yeah. today. And not tomorrow and not in a week, you know. Wow. Um, yeah, it's incredible. Everybody's at home. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. And then I know, you know, I, I complain, but then I think, wow, I'm so lucky when I think of so many other people that are, you know, don't have a place to stay or, or oh, yeah. it's unbelievable. You know, I have, I have food and I have the house and yeah, so really lucky. In a way, we're fo forced to be in the moment. Yeah, and that's where the guitar has helped me too a lot just as always it's you know it's easy to get frightened and, and let your mind like oh what's going to happen but i start playing and it's you know it takes me into that just being okay i'm here i'm safe right at this moment yeah and i'm just gonna play and the music takes you in there so, so um, that's been amazing Talking about someone to watch over me—that's one of my favorite songs. And, oh wow! Uh, and you're recording with uh, with Motion on the uh, what is it on Broadway one or two or maybe three—the one with uh, Lee Konitz. Oh yeah, yeah. So you're playing that song for a while now. Well, so see now I can't even remember what. So I did we record that with Paul? <laughs> Let me see. Let me see, but because um, I, I don't even remember, <laughs> I never go back and listen to these things. You, know? you don't? No. The one with Lee is. Oh. Uh, well, can you see this? Yeah. So this we did the it one. on there. <laughs> it's not. It's not with Lee. It's uh, with Lovano, but with Charlie oh, okay. Hayden. So yeah, I'm. I'm wondering if you play a song for that long, and now you're telling me. <laughs> You're discovering new things. Oh yeah, uh, you know. No, it was like, no, there's so many things in there that I didn't see before. I mean, that's one advantage about getting older. Is <laughs> all I keep coming back to things, you know, whatever song, whether it's mine or or a standard or whatever, but something that you think you understood, and then you years later you come back and it's like, wow, there's There's so much stuff in there that, I mean, that's what's amazing about music. It just never, there's no way you could ever finish it. Or mm -hmm. So that one song, uh, yeah, I could just go on and on just with that one song. For, yeah. Um, Can you tell me a few specifics of things that you now discovered in it and how you discovered um, it? Well, I mean, just the the movement of the chords i don't in a technical way i'm not sure if i could explain it exactly it's almost like 
my ear opened up more to the the way the harmony moves, you know, the way it moves down sort of yeah. and just keeps resolving. And somehow I was able to see further ahead than I like a song like that. When I would first learn it, it's more like I'm looking at each, yeah. each little, you know, each chord or each harmonic movement. There's more in a panic to get each <laughs> one right, and I'm not seeing the the, the larger, picture. yeah. And so I think it something opened up the way they. I don't know if that makes any sense. It, it makes yeah. sense, and also it makes sense in this situation where you have more time for looking at things, as opposed yeah. to be, being, you know, having a little bit more stress or a little more little amount of time. So you're focusing on getting this information right, this information right, and once yeah, there's yeah. time, you you go back in a way, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's a good description. Even in the on a small scale or a large scale, it's like when you're in a rush, you're just looking at each event and trying to. But when you have, yeah, it just it allowed me to see the whole song more clearly mm -hmm. and then i listened to some i went back and listened to some like i guess maybe ella fitzgerald was one of the yeah versions that i was most familiar with and but then a friend of mine um i don't know if you know don falzone he's a bass player he's the husband of claudia engelhardt who does sound yeah. for me all the time and Actually, it's weird you showed that Charlie Hayden thing. He plays, Don plays a lot with with Alan Broadbent, the mm -hmm. piano player that played a lot with Charlie. And I was talking about that song to him, and he said, oh, have you heard, there's a version of little Jimmy Scott singing that song. Oh, okay. And it's like, man, it is, you got to hear this. I, <laughs> that I checked it out. blew my mind. That Talk about phrasing and time just the his use of space and time it, i mean it kind of reminded me of i don't know miles or something like just uh, and and it's incredible beautiful arrangement um well there's ron carter and grady tate and kenny Barron are playing mm -hmm. and johnny mandel is the Did the arrangements so it's like this beautiful Sounds lush like a arrangement RCI with, recording or something yeah i forget what label it's on but anyway that that was right in the midst of when i was working on that song i heard that version and it was like whoa this is it sounded incredible mm. the verse is nice too right yeah 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 same that's got stuff in it too like crazy mm -hmm. yeah. i love this uh, version by blossom deary i don't know if you oh i don't it. know that i have to check that out <laughs> yeah there's really so nice. many oh yeah mm -hmm. it's like endless once you get going with this stuff how can you explain how you go about when you learn a song for the first time maybe well, a song like like that, that I mean, that's changed so much over, like when I think, 
something has changed in the way I process things. I mean, when I was in college, I think I would learn, I remember it seemed like I could learn many tunes pretty quickly, but it was more like some sort of a mathematical, like I was reading the music for one thing. I would, mm. I wasn't listening to it as much as looking at it. <laughs> and then I would memorize it somehow. I mean, so many tunes I learned during that time that are just, now they're just a part of me. Like, I don't know, All the Things You Are or Stella by Starlight or something. And I, but seemed like I could learn more quickly a new mm -hmm. song, at least the way I remember it. But what's happening now, it seems like it takes me much long, it takes me longer. I guess because I want the song to be as, like, say I learned all the things you are 50 years ago or whatever it was. Yeah. And that's just, it's just like you feel it. It's like inside your, you're not thinking of notes or you just, it's just part of your blood you. or yeah. something. So then when I learn it now, when I, learn a new song, I want to get it to that same, same point where, and I don't feel really comfortable. I mean, of course, a lot of times I'll play new music on a gig, but where I really want it to be is where I'm at that point where it's, I'm not thinking about letters or numbers or yeah. mathematical things where it's just where it feels like you're just singing the song. So, mm -hmm. so it it's changed. I mean, and now I'll learn more. You know, it helps me a lot to listen to other people's versions of the song, or it's more, I'm finding myself le reading music less than I, used to i mean i want to be it, to the point where i'm not where i'm not just like reading a chart or something did um did it come out of a conscious decision or did you just notice it well just it just was gradual i mean that's actually the way i start early on i played clarinet in the school band and all this stuff and that was this very formal way of just reading, you know, pushing buttons and reading what was on the paper. But at the beginning, when I picked up the guitar, it was completely intuitive. I didn't know what notes I was playing. I played guitar for a long time. It was a completely separate part of my brain and probably the more natural musical way of playing. I just was play with my friends. I'd listen to records or figure out stuff. But I didn't really know what it was where when I played the clarinet, I knew exactly what everything yeah. was. And then so later, when I got more serious about wanting to play the guitar, I then I started, oh, it's I better learn how to read and do all this stuff on the guitar. And then I don't know, there was a long period, you know, and then I went to Berkeley and I'd all that stuff. And 
it seemed like so much, a lot of what I was dealing with, I was always looking at some paper or something. And mm -hmm. I remember one thing, one big lesson for me was when I went, I went to Nashville to record um, this Nashville album. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, it seems like you know a lot of my <laughs> albums, but um, you might have picked one that I don't know is good. So tell me. About okay. It. So my first group that I had with my own music was with Joey Barron and Hank Roberts and Kermit Driscoll. And we had, you know, we had long history together. And I sort of had a way of working with them. Like I was used to bring, if I would write a new song, I would bring, I would write it out and I would bring it to the band and then we would learn it. And then, it, then we would all absorb it and it would become this whole, it would expand from there. You know, as we absorbed all these things that I had written, but it would always start with this, what was on paper. That was just the way I presented music to people. So it was a big leap for me to go to, I had this opportunity to go to Nashville to record with guys that I didn't know. Hmm. Um, the was one of these where the record company, it was this, I was with Nunsuch at that time and Bob Hurwitz, he, one, we were talking one day and he said, what would you think about going to Nashville to play with some of those guys? And, and um, I was like, wow, that, that would be amazing. You know, I, I don't really know anybody. And he introduced me to a, a man, uh, Kyle Lenning. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle Lenning. He's a, a producer, musician in Nashville who knew a lot of the musicians there. And I, I went down there and he introduced me to It was pretty much it was Alison Krauss's band at the time. Um, and so that's where I met Victor Krauss, the bass player who I've played with a lot. I met him for the very first time there and Jerry Douglas and Ron Block, Adam Steffi, these incredible, like mind blowing musicians, but they were coming from such a different world than I was used to. And so I came down there with my usual, I had written, I didn't know, I didn't know how a banjo worked or a mandolin, or I'd never played with a banjo or a mandolin or dobro and stuff. And I had my charts, but none of them used the, they all just learned it by, that, that was like a, a shock like wow you're not going to look at it the, they just would listen and then okay i got it mm -hmm. how know, fast they, how fast were they like Pretty instantly fast. yeah like jerry douglas i couldn't even believe it he was like all of them it was like there was no really thing they just would like jerry douglas there was one we were i was going to have him play this one song and we put it on for him to listen to And he was like talking and doing other stuff. I thought, man, aren't you 
you should be listening, you know, yeah. and then he just bam. And, and there was another song where he, I had written a sort of a inner, there was like a melody line. And then there was this sort of slightly unusual inner harmony part. And I can't remember whose idea was, he said, Oh yeah, maybe I should play that inner. And it was like, wow. I mean, he really was hearing the whole All the levels, yeah, yeah, and just—I mean—that just kept happening. I started noticing where, wait, how come these guys aren't reading charts, you know? Or, mm. or even Jim Hall. I, I had a duo gig with Jim Hall. This is—I don't know—went long ago, and I brought in a tune of mine that he had never played. And I just noticed how quickly he he just absorbed it. So he wasn't looking at the he was just hearing it, you know. And hmm. anyway, I'm just saying gradually I realized how that I've been trying to get away from So nowadays the paper. Are there certain situations where you just play the stuff for the musicians? Um sometimes, yeah. Yeah, and especially with guys that I play with a lot like if it's tony Shear or kenny wallison or thomas morgan uh, thomas morgan is another one that just before we have a new song and then before i know it he's he's got it in there already you know so did he talk so I'm to trying you to, about it how he does it he just i don't think not there's not too much to talk about it's just <laughs> he's just has that he hears incredible detail yeah same thing during this time of being at home I, a couple times i've called thomas like a there was a sonny rollins song that i've actually recorded again it's so it's like embarrassing there's this song paradox and then i started i've, I've been wanting to i've been actually gathering as much Sonny Rollins music as I can find. Sonny Rollins, again, that's another one of my, I always look to him, if I ever get lost or confused, it's like, oh, Sonny Rollins, he tells you what to do somehow. Yeah. Like, just practice, just shut up and practice or something. <laughs> But yeah. um, I've been trying to put together an all in one place all the music I can find that he's written. And and I want to look at it again and see what what have I done wrong with this. There's so much that, again, all these details that start coming out. And so this song Paradox, I've actually I recorded it at the Village Vanguard, and now I realize all these years later I was some of the I had some of the notes wrong, I had some of the harmonies wrong, and And it was hard for me to, I was trying to make sure I had it right. And I was, so I would call up Thomas and, hey, Thomas, what was that? Can you tell me what that, uh, anyway, he's, he helps me yeah. hear stuff. I know that feeling, like uh, you, you transcribe a song and your ears at that time and place tell you, you've got it. That's it. And then years yeah. later, you go back 
and then you then you're like what was i thinking i mean uh, it, uh, yeah yeah who transcribed this you know no i know how, it happens to me how could so you have often. heard this so yeah <laughs> i guess that's a good indicator that that there is progress and we yeah there's an evolution and uh, there's things that we can't unlock in a certain time but we might get around to later yeah for sure but then it's i get I'm like embarrassed to think, oh, wow, I actually recorded that song, but I, this was wrong or that was wrong. And, but I guess that's, that's part of the deal too. Mm. Paradox. I don't well, it is this. It's, uh, I can, you want me to, I can sure. find it real fast. I'll be right yeah. back. <laughs> what is the name of the record? Work time. Can you see that? Oh yeah, I've seen this. It's got as much there's Max no, Roach. Yeah, Ray Bryant, huh. George Morrow, Max Roach, nineteen fifty five. Nice. We were talking about Thomas Morgan, and to me, as a listener, when I hear you guys together, it just feels right. It just feels so together, and I'm wondering how it. How it was for you when you first heard him and how it felt for you when you then first played together and maybe you can describe your re relationship a little bit more well i met him joey baron introduced me to him and the very first time we met was was at a rehearsal joey was doing a recording where ron carter was the bass player on the recording but he wanted to have a rehearsal and just go over the music and he he had known about thomas so he just asked him to come and play at the rehearsal so that was where i met him and and joey had very specific bass parts for ron to play and wanted to see how it would work and so that first rehearsal um i think thomas might have still been a student or i'm not sure he, um was not that long after he'd come to New York, I think. And um, he came and he just played, it was just perfect, you know, just great. But I didn't, but that wasn't what uh, was amazing. Like, wow, he just came and he played everything just exactly like the way Joey wanted it to be. <laughs> but that wasn't what, uh, that didn't, I mean, I, I could see already, but what really flipped me out was later we met some more and then I started to realize, wait a minute, there's something else going on with him. The choices that he makes and the way he's hearing the whole, everything around him. And so what really flipped me out was there was a, Kenny Wallison, the drummer, he set up this recording session with, it was just unbelievable how many, I don't even know how many people were in there. There was, um, well, it was Butch Morris was conducting the whole thing. And there were, there were rappers, there was like a percussion section, there was a brass section, there was me and Steve Cardenas were playing 
uh, guitars. There was Don Falzone, who I mentioned before, was playing bass. Thomas was playing bass. There were like DJ guys. It was like wow. so much going on, you know, kind of chaotic situation and a lot of sound coming from, you know, sounds coming from every direction. And I just remember what there was this one that happens to me or it's happened in the past a couple of times throughout the, this density, I heard this one, just this one note that was just the most clear. It wasn't loud. It wasn't just, it was just placed in the midst of this thing. And I turned around and it was, and it was just Thomas just, ping you know <laughs> just this one note and it was like whoa how did he know to put that right in that one spot you know mm. so that that's where i really noticed some, this guy there's something really going on with him and so then after that i started i would go see him play like i would saw him play with jacob Sachs and um I'd go see him play at different times and he, he started playing more often with Paul motion. And, and then, so then I felt like the first time we really played on a kind of really close, intimate way was on Paul's that what turned out to be Paul's last album was with Petra Hayden and yeah, that. And, um, such a great record, man. Yeah, that was, and that's where I, we we did that record, and I was like, man, we got to play together yeah. more often. And it was pretty much right after that we started playing a lot. And on that record, it sounds like you've been playing together forever. You know, the maybe that's also uh, because of motion a little bit, bringing you guys all together, but also just the vibe you guys have together. It's it's incredible. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's all, it just always feels that way. Like he, he knows wherever I could possibly be, he's there before I get there. So. Can you describe it, It's that? almost a, yeah, I mean, Sorry, it's like ahead. a, it's a weird, it's like a, almost a physical sensation in my hands. You know, the way the notes, when I'm have my instrument and I'm, The way the notes vibrate, it's like you can feel him. It's like he's he's there. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And so any direction I go, or it's just he's. I've said that sometimes. It I almost don't like to talk about it because it's it feels. I don't want to break the the spell of it or something. Okay. But it's but it's like he. I've never seen anyone it's like he doesn't uh he doesn't play anything it's like he's reacting to what's happening but he's reacting before it happens yeah so it's it's a weird it's it's almost like he's traveling through time or something because you watch him and it, it's um uh, his attention is so intense his 
concentration is so intense and he it's yeah it's this but he's not jumping ahead or he's not behind he's just right there and is it something a feeling that you got from somebody else similar um well oh i don't know it's hard to compare um i don't know he's like a I mean, you have that, it's the thing you're always hoping, this connection that you have. I mean, I've been lucky to have that with with a lot of people. Um, mm. But no, with him, it's, yeah, it's a different, I mean, I'm, I'm, there's so many people that I feel a strong hookup with, but he he's it's a it's he's just thomas morgan yeah you have done so much great things with a lot of different bands throughout such a long time i mean you've had so many great bands and very different bands also you're talking about that hookup where do you think the hookup comes from well just if people are just listening you know and not I have to play with people where I feel like I can. I mean, the most amazing thing is where you feel like you can take a risk or make a mistake. Like you don't have to worry about making a mistake. If you're afraid to make a mistake, then it, 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 nothing's going to go anywhere. It's, I mean, my hope is that the every moment in the music is going to be at the edge of what we don't know that's what i wanted it to be i don't want it to just be all figured out and we yeah i want it to be i want every moment to be like unexplainable or something you know so there's so much trust and just you're reminding me of ron miles the trump player who i play with a lot yeah and he has this way of I don't know how to explain. Uh, there's this e extraordinary amount of trust where I've played a lot of his. He, we started out. He was play in my bands a lot, or and he would always just bring so much to my music. Like really coming from, he would see what was at the core of what I was trying to do, and he would always m make something more with it. But when I started playing his music, like now in the last few years, I've been playing a lot more in his groups and his music. And every single time, I could show you some of that too. I mean, every single time I go, like we have, I'll go to, we have a gig and we have like a couple hours to rehearse or whatever. There's never enough time to rehearse. And maybe I sort of knew the tunes from the last time, but not, but every single time he'll come with these giant sheets of like more and more and more music. And I'm looking at it and it's like, you got to be crazy. There's no way we can, how can we do this? It's too much. We don't have enough time. You know, I can't. And we somehow will <coughs> run through it a little bit at the rehearsal 
And then what always <laughs> happens is he's so unafraid that's contagious. So, okay, let's just go. So we go for it and it always works out. And I don't know how to, he, he has a way of, he'll bring in like something very involved and all kinds of detail and all sorts of stuff in it, all sorts of rhythmic time changes and you know it's not like simple music but then when we play he's he allows it to it's okay if it goes off the rails and then you come back on and and everybody's trusting each other and you try to if somebody falls down you you help them back up or whatever and that's just the most amazing feeling when everybody's doing that together. Yeah. Like take your attention off where you're, don't worry about, your, your, you know, you, you have to play something. But for me, it seems like the better I'm playing is the further I am away from my own. Absolutely. Yeah. If my attention is, on who whoever else is in the band fully then it's works out better you know hmm. yeah for us as listeners uh with these bands you talked about it's it's very um it shows itself you know you with brian blade and and, and ron miles together as a trio there's so much room for exploration and also things to go wrong, but everybody helps each other being there for each other. Yeah. And also with that quintet, you know, I thought it was a very interesting combination of, of people also. With yeah. Jason like Moran. all those guys. Yeah. Jason too. It's like, I don't know how you, especially with piano, it's not always, Sometimes you have to be careful or this, but with him, I don't have to, I don't have to edit what I'm playing and hopefully he doesn't either. I don't know, <laughs> but it, it always feels like he could play something very dense, but with it, there's still incredible space. There's always room for Paul Blay had that too, like, when I got to play with him, oh, it yeah. was like, because a piano can be so powerful. It just one note on a piano can just wipe out all the overtones and everything. It can just wipe out the guitar somehow, you know, but Paul Blay was another one that he played that instrument, but it was like, wow, it's like anything I play it. There's a room for it. I love these recordings with you and him. It's incredible. Did he give yeah. you any any specific advice or notes? Oh, that was another talk about paper. Like um, he didn't want to have any. Uh, the first recording we did, I think that was the first time I. Yeah, the very first time I played with him was the first album we made on ECM with. Fragments. Paul Motion, yeah, and and John Sermon, and 
that album, there was a little bit of written music. But even then, I remember he said something about, I don't want to have, I don't want any paper or something. He said, I don't want any paper. That's in and the studio or in the he, rehearsal? Yeah, that was, no, we just, we went into the studio and then we started recording. And um, another thing he did, I just, a little lesson he gave me in that when we first met, he I was going to tune up. I wanted to tune to the piano. So he he plays he plays a note and then I he goes pling and I go pling. And he goes, "Wait a minute. I mean, why don't you listen to the note before you you know, <laughs> like and it was like, "Oh yeah." Like so then it was like he would play the note and then I just oh yeah, I should just listen to that note for a while. And then I'm going to go playing, and then nice. I'll know if it's in it. That was great. But that we did that album, and then later, whenever it was, later in that year, we did this long tour of Europe, and we went to um, Martinique and Guadeloupe, and it was all like all over England and. Europe and it was like about five weeks and that tour we never used any every every note was just improvised and that was that was really when we started in London and um, I'm thinking what are we going to do and we just we just started playing and that was and that was incredible with Sermon. Also, John Sermon, we, we got so we would be playing these melodies. They were improvised, but we were playing in unison. Just the listening was so intense, you know. Mm. Um, that was an amazing. So then at the end of that, we recorded the second album that was more, represent I mean, it's kind of a great, they were sort of a year apart, I think, where we did that first album where we had just met and then and then we played a lot and we spent a lot of time together. We traveled all over the place, rode the trains together. Also, I remember Paul saying, this is when, you know, I would have a cassette recorder and a blah, blah, blah. And he said he was, I remember on the train, he said, you know, won't be long before nobody will, people just use their computer to, you won't even have to have, you won't even need to, it was like right when CDs were starting to come out yeah. and, you know, CDs was like some new big deal. He said, you know, that's going to be, people will just, and I'm thinking, what do you, what yeah, are you talking Yeah, kind about? of profit. That I guy. mean, yeah, I mean, he was seeing <laughs> way into the future, you know. What was his vibe like? I mean, the vibes of the two Pauls on, on the road. Well, that was just to be around those guys, you know, because they had so much history from before. Right. And um, Boy, I wish I could remember everything, you know, all the stories. Because we'd be sitting on a trip. That, during that time, most of the tour was 
on train in Europe anyway was more trains that now it seems like we're flying all the time but back then it was so we'd be sitting on a train for a long time long periods mm -hmm. of time or a bus sometimes and so Paul would be talking a lot um, I mean uh, Blay yeah and I you know I wish I could it's just incredible stories about this guy or that guy or something mm -hmm. happened did you ask him about Sony? Um, <laughs> I said we didn't have any pay. That was a couple times. I'm just thinking about that that solo that he plays on that album, Sonny, Me Talk, yep. on All the Things You Are. Mm -hmm. So do you know that? Yeah. Do you, Okay. For me, that's one of the, like, that was one of those, just, when I heard that the first time, whenever it was, I can't believe, it could even be almost 50 years ago when I heard that, or 45 years. I mean, it's, when I first heard that, uh... I just can't even tell you how startling that was or how it still now, if I listen to it now, it's like, that was like a, just open this. It's like split everything open into this world of like, what the, I don't, I don't even know what to say about that. So what I'm saying, I don't remember him. I can't remember. I must have asked him, but, but there were a couple times during that tour where he played all the things you are, and it there was that sort of thing was like the, sometimes it, there would be some reference to some standard song yeah. or something, and and that sort of thing would be was like oh I want let me and yeah. then and then by the time it was time for me to play we would be onto something else. oh shit, you know yeah <laughs> on this might but um i can't remember if he talked specifically about it's okay Sonny, yeah, huh? it's just just wondering but just you just reminded me of that that solo on that thing i could just listen to that that's pretty special i'll, yeah. I'll never i would never and that's but that sense of where the line or the his ear was taking him mm -hmm. to this place where he's still connected to the to the earth yeah. or to the uh, but to get that to that point where you you can just you're not letting any of what you've been conditioned to do hold you back, back you know yeah. that's it's just man very courageous player that guy yeah do you do you think you know where he got the courage from i don't i mean he definitely had confidence that's you know yeah. he was sure 
even he just wasn't i remember like these thing little things traveling like i could see how he wasn't afraid of certain things like i remember one time we were at an airport there's like just a mob of we're trying to get through to the i forget the security or the show our tickets or something and there's like this hundreds and hundreds of people and i'm like i'm like so nervous like oh god we're gonna we're gonna miss our flight we're gonna and he's just standing there he was he was so calm like mm-hmm. just it that didn't face him at all i mean it was sort of that it's like he knew we weren't gonna miss but I guess if we did, it wouldn't have made any difference. Because yeah. what can you do? He was—he just had that. This con- he didn't let stuff like that get in, and I was like, "Oh God, what if we missed the gig or whatever?" You yeah. Know. Um, so he had that with when you would go on the bandstand too. Just uh, there was this confidence and he was sure and motion was a confident guy too right yeah yeah um yeah (laughs) (laughs) in a way i mean mean, like he knew what he wanted also yeah i mean he was just so clear about staying true to his the music was so important you know that he just would sacrifice i mean that's i I feel so lucky when i first met him to see that example of it was right early in the time when he had really committed to being his doing his own he wanted to write his own music and have his own band and all that and yeah and and just to see how true he stayed to that without letting other temptations take him away from it. And, you know, we, at the beginning we weren't, there was no money or there was, there was no gigs. There was not like, because it was like, I rehearsed with him almost the whole year before we even did a gig. And then, and then those first tours and stuff, it wasn't, I mean, for me it was unbelievable. There was to get, paid at all for anything but it was amazing <laughs> but but um you know he definitely could have gone another way and probably made more money or done but he just stuck with it mm-hmm. can you talk about um what you've learned from him also in in, uh, in maybe the way of leading a band or important moments in all the years you've made music together I don't even know how to, wouldn't quite know where to begin. Just hmm. like maybe is there something uh, in how you lead the band today that you can say you have definitely taken that as advice from him or something you saw him do, you know, that you kind of incorporated into uh, the way you uh, do stuff now? Yeah, I mean, the thing 
I don't know if I can do it, but I think what was from the very first moment I played with him, it was it was his band. You, you knew it was you knew he was the leader. It was his band, but it actually felt like it was. He made us feel like it was our band, you know, or, or it made me feel like it was. Again, I guess it's just that kind of trust that you put in the people that you're. He put that trust in me. Hmm. Just immediately, I could tell. I knew that he wanted me for the person that I was, not not just that I played. I know he wanted a guitar player, but it was more about he trusted me. And in that way, it was like when I played his music, it, it felt like, wow, this is, I could go full out. It wasn't like I was trying to please him. I was trying to, it became my own music. And I hope I can do that with, I mean, w one thing I with my bands, I'm always playing with guys that are, everybody I play with, I feel like they're my teacher, you know, like they're, it's not like I'm the big guy that knows what's happening. Everybody I'm playing with plays better than I play. So I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to keep up with the guys that I get in my band, basically. Yeah. They're, it's like they're constantly teaching me what to do. So um, I don't know if that, that wasn't really the, with him, it was more that he gave us that kind of confidence that we were worth mm. being there. So. And then the thing with every, you know, we played so long, you know, it was 30 years we played. And I swear every, I mean, I've said this so many times, but every single time we play, whatever song it was, we, um, even a song that we'd played a million times or a song we'd never played, it was like, I was like, oh my God, what's going to, I never knew what he was going to do, you know? So it, it always had that. I mean, that's maybe what I was talking about wanting to be in that place where you don't know. Yeah. You, you don't know what's going to happen. You just got to stay in that. And he had this amazing ability to just always keep it at that point, you know? So I, I feel so lucky that I was experienced that and hopefully I can keep that. You know, that's what I want to, Mm -hmm. Yeah, no matter how many times we played it, I never was, it wasn't like being nervous. It was, it's like, it's just this sort of adrenaline, like energy that you get from, you have to just, you can't let your attention, you, your attention had to be just absolutely, you, you couldn't not have your attention 100% there. Mm -hmm. I admire you for, for so many things. And there's so much things I, I want to know. But um, I, I'm very interested in how you find new sounds, how you find new ways of addressing a chord, 
meaning of voicing, without going into the same direction each time. It seems to me um, like the way you've incorporated um, specific intervals into your voicings allowed for a very, very um, sparse sounds. And yet to me, they, this, that sparseness comes together with being very, very rich and full. Like a three note voicing with, I don't know if I can still play something like this, you know, is something I heard from you having a, uh, having a minor ninth in there and stuff like that, but you can use it over so many different bass notes. It creates a very rich texture and very rich sound without giving everything away. Um, I'm, I'm wondering how you've worked on that. Boy, I like hard. I mean, it's just such so slow. You know, it's like this. It's just this constant reaching for something that you. Every day, you know, you try to. I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't have any real system or. Mm -hmm. You just keep plugging away, and then something will. I guess that that thing about less, a lot of times taking something away. I keep I think more and more I'm finding that that there's something to be said. I'm discovering how much happens when you take, like if you think of stacking a. Well, I remember that was another thing I that was so I was working on this. Another song that I thought I had knew, but then this was some years ago. Well, you needn't the monk song. And I was first I realized that I was playing the melody wrong or I was yeah, it was whatever it was based based on this or that or and then there were different ways of playing the bridge and then I so then I <laughs> I thought I went through all this stuff to I thought, okay, now I've got I've got the whole thing correct. And then it was almost like monk came and it was amazing. I couldn't believe so, uh, for some reason I found this interview with monk where they were playing his songs for other people. I think it might have been Phineas Newborn or something. They played Well You Need For Him by someone else. And it got to the bridge and Monk said, no, 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 that's not, shouldn't. Anyway, the chord was like, and now if I can even remember what the, let's just say it's a, a D flat chord with an E flat on the top. And I thought, oh, from all my training, you know, you just stack up the chord. So it's like a D flat nine, D flat seven with a with an E flat. And he said, no, you shouldn't play the seventh. Yeah. Shouldn't play the seventh on that chord. It's just a triad with that other with the ninth on a like a D flat triad and an E flat. And it was like, whoa, I didn't 
I thought it was okay to just stick all the other stuff yeah. in there, but then I realized what a difference that makes to just take something out, you know, or I've been messing around a little bit with scales, like what if I don't play all the notes of the scale mm -hmm. and, you know, I mean, of course, like whatever, there's all kinds of pentatonic things, but what about six note scales? And, and then it just by play six note scales instead of seven note scales. And that there's something, something starts to happen. I'm talking about some things I just was thinking it takes me for it. But in the last few days, I was just messing around with some stuff like that. Um, taking things out and and then you know again monk is like sort of the the precision and the detail of how he picked notes to that would have an impact with the least um you know with not you don't have to play a big huge thing and and then that for for a guitar player, it's great because, you know, I can't play a 10 note chord really on the guitar. So he, he, he's like a amazing teacher of how to get a lot of impact with, with a few notes. Absolutely. And you're one for one of the, the greatest examples, I think for me, um, to to transport his harmonic language onto the guitar, and it's actually one you're mentioning the stuff that I was interested in, you know, without me asking. It's perfect, you know. Uh, I was I was gonna ask you actually how you worked on that, you know, and I think you already answered it a little bit. Jim Hall too, he was a master of that, like finding the most color in. You don't have to just play some giant thing. You would just find what has the most, I don't know, like imply, like find a way to imply something big with something small or something. Mm -hmm. That's the sparseness and the, the richness I was talking about. Yeah. And I had the same experience with Well You Needn't, actually. <laughs> you know, I didn't read that interview, but I also thought I knew it. And actually, before that, I thought I knew it. I thought I didn't like it so much. You know, I love Monk's music, but there are certain tunes I gravitate more to than others. And I don't yeah. know if you know that feeling. Sometimes you put something away and say, yeah, that's not my favorite song. And then you go, yeah. uh, you have to learn it for a gig or whatever. And then you learn it and all of a sudden you realize what you've been missing. Yeah. And it's usually some, at least for me, is something that I didn't understand before. That yeah. wasn't part of my language yet. And yeah, totally. A way yeah. of, you know, it's a way of saying, being afraid of something and therefore saying, I'm afraid, I don't know, I don't like it, you know? Yeah. And yeah. It's, a, it's a cheap way out in a way, right? Just because yeah, you're afraid, yeah. which you don't realize before, 
yeah. you say, it's, it's not for me. <laughs> and now I love that song, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then when you hear it, then you think you know it, and then you hear him playing it, and it's like, wait a second. Mm -hmm. There's so much unexplainable stuff. I mean, the, talk about the way he places you know, I'll learn these songs again, like, like, where everything is placed in the correct, and then you listen to it, wait a minute, he's playing the, he's playing the melody that's supposed to be in the first measure, but he's playing it like halfway through the yep. second measure, and the chord's supposed to, and it's like, oh my God, you know, mm -hmm. like this sort of, there's this sort of, unexplainable stuff that starts I don't know Sonny too like has that I listen to him all this stuff and then especially if you see him live or something and it's like what the it, it, it it's like it's coming from no matter what you think you knew or understood it's, it's some other miss mm -hmm. so mysterious what's going on for me a big lesson was when i read this interview of monk and he said everybody's talking about my weird chords my weird harmonies and i don't know what they're talking about for me it's just logical uh, yeah and that turned my head around you know yeah. because a little part of me that's years ago but a little part of me thought yeah they're weird chords they are weird you know <laughs> and once i read that little sentence now i see i see it i can see it i can see what he's doing you know i don't i well, yeah. wouldn't say i've unlocked the, his mystery or something but i can see the logic in it and once i saw the logic in it I just uh, fell in love with it even more and and um, yeah. also saw his influence on how how many people he taught you know that yeah. were more in the in the spotlight like dizzy and and miles and you see and bud you know you see where they took yeah. the things that he yeah. was developing yeah here's something that I want to know, but I don't really know how to put into words. But the thing is, um, what I've written down in my notes is the first note that I that I wrote down for this interview. And I don't really follow my notes. It's just they're here for you know for me to get into the mood or whatever. Well, when I was listening to you all these past days obviously i was in a kind of a uh i was only listening to you and i've been listening to you for for ages you know but in these past days i've been only listening to you for the whole day which is great i went back to wow. old recordings that i hadn't listened to for a long time and i checked out some new for me new recordings that i hadn't checked out before it was just great and so inspiring and if, it, if there wouldn't have been an interview, those two days would have been you know, just incredible alone. But mm -hmm. 
what I see from the very first recording that I heard from you or that I found from the Nino Rota recording, you know, oh. to the latest stuff you put out. And you're noticing already, I don't know how to, know how to put it into words. Um, I wrote down realizing slash or giving into one's personality. And um, that's not re really a question, but I wonder when you realized or got an idea for what you wanted to sound like or how you sound. Oh, and yeah, that's... Then sometimes there are moments which I know, and maybe you had them too, when you listen to somebody play a solo before you in a band and that they are shredding all over the place and it's, you know, it's virtuoso type stuff or something. And then now it's time for your solo and you're wondering, who am I? What can I add? You know, yeah. and that's the moment where sometimes we realize, okay, who am I? I'm not that guy. That was great. Yeah, yeah. But that's not yeah. me. Who am I? Can I do this? Is it okay to not do this, yeah. but to do this? And yeah. when I listened to the first recording of, I think the Nino Rota was your first recording, right? Or maybe one of the first. Well, early, yeah. Yeah. Especially after I came, I mean, there's a few things I did in Europe before that, but right. That that was sort of the first thing. Yeah. And it seems like your your individuality is already so apparent and so formed that you must have this epiphany or this this moment of realization pretty early on. Yeah, no, I mean, that's where I don't, it's something that didn't come from, that's more of an external, uh, like still now, I'm, I'm, uh, I feel like I'm not, I'm always trying for something that I can't do, or I'm always, you know, all the people that we're talking about, Sonny Rollins or Monk or whoever, or Frank Sinatra or whoever, all I'm doing is my own attempt at getting close to that thing that I love about what that is. And it always feels like it's just, just a, nowhere close to I'm trying to basically I'm trying to imitate this other thing that I can't get to mm. and I'll never get there but somewhere along the way like I don't know when so people would say wow you sound someone else would tell me that I had a unique sound or something I guess but I'm not sure if I even knew that myself. Um, I don't know if that's what you're, it's, it's an awareness that came from other people. Because mm -hmm. all I'm trying to do is just imitate everything. <laughs> and, um, but then there's also that I, I know that feeling of, 
you have to be sure enough of yourself. It's a hard question. Um, I mean, I think, it, it, like, just as I'm struggling to speak right now, that's the same. Every person on the planet has their own voice, right? You, When you talk, we know that this is you. You're when you talk that's you and so when you play that's gonna if we can just not be afraid to i mean i spent also i spent time i think early on being embarrassed or afraid of showing where i came from you know i grew up in denver colorado and i grew up during the 50s and the 60s but there was a time when I wanted to be, I wanted to be a cool jazz guy that was from another era or something. And that, that wasn't being honest, you know? So there's something about not being afraid to, you have to show what your own life is. And then your own voice comes out in that. And, I mean, again, I go back like Sonny Rollins. That's it was almost like a lesson from him. Like I wanted to, you know, I would learn a Sonny Rollins song, or I would play a song that Sonny Rollins played. But then there was a point. Wait a minute, that song that he's playing, Surrey with the fringe on top, or whatever, that was a song that he heard when he was whatever how old he was or yeah. that was a song a and then so yeah. yeah so me then well wait a minute why can't i play surfer girl because that's when i was a kid i liked that song so i'll play that so it's almost like i got the by being inspired by those guys they after a point it's not about trying to play like them it's about these other lessons that they're to be you know, and like with Paul, he had, Paul Motion had his, when we did those Broadway albums, those were the songs from his earlier in his life. Like he knew the words or he knew them from a movie or he, or, whereas for me, they're more, I, I've learned to know them and love them too, but it's coming later to them or they weren't like part of my childhood or something as much as like for him mm -hmm. so so anyway there's this thing about i think uh, my advice to like some younger player you know you just don't be afraid of you know deep down inside what really you actually like don't be afraid to show it to somebody else because if you like it if you love it that's what's going to come out in the music you know that'll you can't know what somebody else is gonna like you can't try to figure out what somebody else is going to like mm -hmm. you'll never know what that is but if you are playing what you just love i think that that feeling transmits to other people more strongly than than anything so, Mm -hmm. And it's yeah, it's so personal. I mean, if you and me would listen to the same song 
of Sonny Rollins right now. We would both acknowledge its greatness for sure, no matter which song, you know, we would say, this is great, this is Sonny, we love Sonny. But the moments where you will light up might not be the moments, yeah, it might be the same yeah. moments that we, re we realize, wow, this was great, right? But <laughs> then there would be moments where you would light up and I would light up in, in different moments. Yeah, and yeah, there's moments... no way, to... everybody hears completely, everybody's hearing something different. Absolutely. But I also see that this, these are the moments that we have to then follow with everything we have in order to find that connection and to strengthen totally. it and then it becomes part of us. Yeah, yeah, totally. Can we talk about Mike Gibbs a little bit? Oh, yeah. Since he's been an important guy for you and for me as well. And he's the guy who yeah. brought us together. Yeah. So when I was in high school, this is a little crazy, long story, but toward the end of high school is when I discovered Wes Montgomery. I always think of that as sort of, that was a big, like, sort of entry into, I was playing in bands at school, you know, like rock bands and with my friends and I was into blues and kind of R&B, whatever stuff, pop music. And then I heard a Wes Montgomery, my band director at school, there was a talent show at the school. And my band director said, well, you, I was playing clarinet in the school band, but there was this, there was a, these girls that were doing this dance routine and they were using Bumpin' on Sunset, Wes Montgomery's song. They were putting on the record and then they would do this dance thing. And the, the band director said, man, it would be so much better if we had live music. Do you think you could? So he gave me this Wes Montgomery record. And I was like, what? You know, this was, so it was like this link between sort of the pop music and then jazz or whatever the whatever you call it it was just a major moment me discovering him and then going and buying more of his albums and it was also the point where i realized i've got to find it i must find a teacher i gotta try to get this together because i really want to play and so what I'm getting, so this was 1967, I think, when I heard that album. And then by 1968, there it was the summer of 68, and Wes Montgomery was going to come to Denver to play. So this is where I'm just getting really fired up about music, and I started hearing all this stuff within just months, you know, there's that Wes Montgomery had Ron Carter was playing bass. And then, you know, then I would wait, he's playing on a Kenny Burrell record. And then there's blah, blah, blah. And then Herbie Hancock's on this. And then there's Miles Davis and there's blah, blah, yeah. blah. It was just like, like just coming at me like crazy. So anyway, there's this 
the Newport Jazz Festival was doing this traveling show, and Wes Montgomery was going to be on this concert. So that's really was, I want, I got to see Wes Montgomery. So my dad got us tickets, and oh, I can't wait. And then he passed away right before the concert. So I did. I never got to see him live, but I went to the concert anyway. And on that concert was um, Dion Warwick was sort of the big, most popular person on the con. And then there was uh, Cannonball Adderley and Thelonious Monk and wow. and Gary. That's the only time I saw Monk play live was at basically my first jazz concert. And I didn't know what, you know, I didn't know what was going on. Then. But then there was Gary Burton's band with Larry Coriel and Steve Swallow and Bob right. Moses. Oh, Bob Moses. No, okay. no it's Bob Moses. And, okay. and that was like, so I'm just sort of coming to terms with, not coming to terms with, but just to give you an idea how much music was coming at me all of a sudden. But I heard that band and it was like what the, you know larry coriel again was it was like this link from this whole world of music that i hadn't even begun to figure out and then sort of a like looking into the future or something and so that was i just immediately wow i gotta check this out more so I started buying these Gary Burton records and like, what is it? There's a sound, there's some kind of a sound here or something and started noticing Mike Gibbs name on mm. a lot of those songs. And, oh, and then Ron, you know, talk about Ron Carter. Then I buy Stan Getz record, Sweet Rain. Sweet Rain, yeah. With Chicory and, and and Grady Tate and Ron Carter and and that song, like what is there's this sound in this, you know. There was something it was like so he wasn't one of the guys that you would see. He was in the background, right? He was mm -hmm. like but I just kept noticing that name and and these songs that he wrote and then so I was just a, I was a fan or I was, he was, and, and then so years go by, whatever, a few more years go by and I go to school in Boston and I get to the school and I didn't even know that he, that, wow, Mike Gibbs is here and he's teaching. And it was like, oh, I couldn't, it was like, I just won the lottery. Years. Mm -hmm. It was like I just couldn't believe that he was there. That's the guy, you know. And then so I, during that time, I took all of his classes and got to play in his his band, you know, his student bands and all that. And that's how we got to got to know each other. And then when I left Boston, I went to. Um, Belgium. I stayed in Belgium for a year. And soon after I was there, he had a 
he had a tour of England my, with his own music. And I think normally at that time he was, Philip Catherine was playing in his band or when he would do gigs, Philip Catherine was the guy that he was using. Another amazing guitar player from Belgium. Yeah. Um, and, but for some reason he wasn't available for this tour. So, and Mike knew that I was over there. So he called me to, do, so that was like the first real tour that I had done. Mm. And, um, uh, I mean, it was, he took it, you know, cause he knew that I, I knew the music from being in school and all that. So I could, so it was like, wow, I couldn't. And on the band was Kenny Wheeler was in the band and it was the first time, you know, meeting all these, they were all my heroes. Everhard Weber was playing bass, Charlie Mariano, um, John Marshall was playing drums. Uh, anyway, it was like this, like I was suddenly in with all these guys that were my heroes. And hmm. so then that's also how my first connection with ECM yeah. records was Aberhart. There was a segment during the concert where Mike would just let Aberhart and me play a duet it was just sort of improvised space that we could just play and i think from that aberhard was he really loved what i was doing and he had this recording coming up just a month later or something and he invited me to come so that was the first uh time i met manfred eicher and gary burton was on that record Fluid Russell was called. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just like this incredible. With Mike, it was like he just. I mean, he had been such a inspiration before I met him, and then as soon as I met him, it was like he, he kept opening these doors. And then when I moved to New York, about a year later, then Mike was in New York and. He would call me for gigs, and again, that's how I met. Um, really, how I met Steve Swallow and and hmm. Bob Moses at the was on those gigs. I can't even think of who all was in those bands, but um, so many opportunities like that. Um, hmm. But more just the mute to. Uh, I just love him so much, you know, and then yeah. as years go by, we've gotten to just do more and more. And Well, the, the, I mean, just the thing, like, it's so simple again. It's like to be with someone like what I was talking about. If you love something, like when you're playing, if you love this thing and you, that's so contagious. Like, like what I love some of the most uh, memorable, or I don't know what the word, just these moments of joy being with Mike is like, you can talk about <laughs> uh, 
a note, like what a certain note sounds like on a certain yeah. chord. And it's like, oh, my God, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the joy in just. If you play a C, try it. And then if this one, whatever this other note or you. And and this kind of enthusiasm for what one note will do or what co what chord one chord will do or he was always like um, that yeah 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 that's so great to yeah, have somebody it, like that when you study you know somebody yeah yeah in a way he's he's older than he's in he's in another generation but he has the same enthusiasm like a like a upcoming kid you know oh yeah like totally yeah, and he would in Boston. It was incredible. You would come so often to check out whatever little gigs I was doing in little clubs, or there was uh, there was a time a, a really good friend of mine, D Sharp, drummer who played in Carla Blaze band, and such a great name. Everyone, also. <laughs> <laughs> For yeah, yeah, it's perfect. And he had a band where we would play every Wednesday night at this little club in Boston. And just like almost every week, Mike was there listening. He was just so supportive and enthusiastic. Yeah. Yes. What was he like as a teacher? Well, it was like that, too. You know, we would. There were technical things but not so much. It was more like he would play us uh, Charles Ives piece or something like uh, the unanswered question or something. And then I remember him talking about whatever there's this tonality and then this one note comes in. I'm, I, I should have, see, I'm a bad student. I don't remember exactly. It's like whatever it is, it's like a C try, and then there's a F sharp comes in at a certain, like yeah. he would, some, that's not what it is, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever, it's like, uh, it was just this, or messy, you talk about messy and a lot, some of that harmonies there and, kind of would explain where some of his ideas had grown from thinking about some of those things. And, mm. But it wasn't so much, again, it wasn't so much the technical stuff that I remember. It was more the enthusiasm or the excitement of the joy of what a certain melody or note could do to you. Yeah, he still has that. I feel like it's yeah. getting even more and more with each year. I feel like yeah. how <laughs> how much joy he gets out of discovering new things and and studying, still studying. Yeah, stuff. yeah. incredible. Such a sweet guy. Um, we've recently lost McCoy Tyner. Oh and yeah. I know you've played with him for quite a while and, and I want to know how it felt to play uh, with him. And That's another, like, I just can't, it seems like a dream or something. I don't know how that even happened. 
I just feel like I've, I'm how did I'm so lucky. I don't know. Um, I don't know what to say, but I just feel like it was just amazing that I got to spend time with him and try to absorb. Again, a lot of my memories are, of course, the music being in the music with him, you know, and I learned some, you know, he would never say what song we're going to play or he would just start playing and you have to be ready. And I was so thankful for like Gary Bartz. Every time I played with McCoy, Gary Bartz was there. He was like a man, that guy, it's another just, I can't believe I got to play with him either. You know, the first time I saw him was, when I saw Miles in 1971 and, and well, you know, just all the, and Eric Gravatt, who, Mm. I mean, I I saw, this is in the very early seventies. And I, I saw McCoy play often with, with Alphonse Muzan, who I also got to play with. And then I remember I think it was even during this one particular week or something, Alphonse left and Eric Gravatt came in or, and it was this, I remember seeing them in the, like, it was so amazing to see McCoy's face and Eric Gravatt's face on that gig where they were playing together after they hadn't played for a while or something, you know, and it was this joy again, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Now I'm forgetting what I was. Well, anyway, yeah, I was saying how uh, Gary Bartz was so generous with me. Like I'm coming into this situation that I don't know, and he would help me, you know, tell me what song it was, or <laughs> or tell me what the chords were, or something. You well, know, you I'm, didn't get any sheet music either. Well, yeah, I had, you know, I had as much as I could gather, or try to get a list of what he might do. And then um, just try to learn it. And but every once in a while, you play something that I didn't quite know. And then Gary would he was you know he would sort of lead me through it. And That's good. Yeah. He really it was, he was so generous and great, you know. But a lot of the other memories of just being with McCoy again, because tra- we're traveling every day and walking through the airport and. I just wanted to be with him the whole time, you know. Yeah. I just tried to stay with him all the time, and it was incredible. And he never, there was never any, ever a rehearsal or anything like that. Never. We just played. I remember I called, before the first gig, I called him up on the phone, and I said, you know, it's Bill, uh, I'm going to be on the gig, and, and he just said, "Oh yeah, it is. Well, it's not. It's not the army. We're gonna." He said, he, <laughs> "He said we're just, you know, we're gonna have fun." He just he put me at ease. You know, I was still mm-hmm. so nervous, but yeah, that was amazing. And then the way I there was after a number of nights playing, I felt like his. I was starting to hear again. It was, I can't even explain. I found a couple of times I found myself, wow, I, pl- I just played some 
McCoy stuff. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I absorbed something yeah. that I always wanted to have, but I didn't even know how I got there. But it was like he was pulling my ear. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, that was amazing. You were talking before about that uh, relationship of piano and guitar. And you said that uh, the density of, of or the the power that the piano can have sometimes can erase the guitar. How did you maneuver this with McCoy? Well, actually, something in the nature of the overall orchestration of the whole. I mean, again, it, what a incredible accompanist, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that's what I was maybe experiencing, like, wow, I can't believe I'm, I would find myself playing some line that maybe he was, I don't know, whatever he was playing behind me was like, it's like he was showing me some way to go that I hadn't been before or something. So, um, I guess my function in that group was, you know, a lot of the groups I play in, I, I feel I'm I'm being the orchestrator of things, maybe more or something. And that that group, he was the orchestrator arranger. But it wasn't that I didn't have. I felt like I still had an I still had an impact. It wasn't like. Um, For sure, yeah. And I could still play. I could still play harmonically. I could play chords, or I don't know. Um, but the whole thing was, you know, probably more dense, or and. But anyway, I I don't know how to describe it exactly mm -hmm. you know when i when i kind of had my first lessons that were more jazz oriented and as a also in terms of playing together with other people and back in those days i was in in combos you know as a teenager where there would be multiple horn players for sure, but also multiple, you know, there would be guitarist and a piano player. Oh yeah. And in a way how the, that wasn't studying in, at conservatory, that was, you know, music school, uh, uh, where, we, where, where I would go for piano lessons and then sometimes ensemble lessons. And in a way we, we were instilled already that piano and guitar is hard. Is that's yeah, a hard I mean, thing that's... to do. In a way, we we get we get accustomed to that already, or that we we've, we are being taught that this is supposed to yeah, be a they, hard thing. They tell you that, and then you it's like a sets up a yeah prejudice or something, and it's it's so much not about to me. It's not the instrument; it's the no who you're playing with and how people are listening. That's where what it is. Absolutely. So it doesn't That's matter if it's a piano. Say, yeah. I really like to play with the guitarist, or or, and a lot of my favorite music is with keyboards and uh, and guitar or 
piano and guitar and to me it just yeah. works perfectly if if the people involved are listening you know and, and yeah that's the whole thing it's listening it's <laughs> yeah but did uh, did your um story with mccoy start with that guitarist record that he did he, yeah just did that and that was again very intimidating you know it's so quick you just i had met him once before very briefly but literally like in a dressing room hello type yeah just there's no way he would have even remembered i don't think but really it was that recording where we actually met and but it happened so it was like a day they had it scheduled i don't know how many people came in that day like i think scofield was there yeah i think he was there the right before me and then me and then somebody <laughs> else came so you just had okay you've got two hours or whatever it is you're going to learn this song and then or these songs record it and on to the next person come in so it was just bam 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 and you know of course i wish i could have had a few more tries at that um, mm -hmm. and then it's like you know jack dejanet and ron carter it's like wow and the you film know. team also you know it was also, yeah yeah they also did a dvd out of it oh yeah yeah but it yeah so it's just really intense just hoping that you're gonna get through there okay mm -hmm. and then i was surprised when he asked me to play then there was one gig came up at the blue note just one night somewhere and then they asked me to do that whole tour the most i did was this we did like i don't know what it was three week tour in europe and then that's where i really got to spend time with them and then we did a also did a week at a club in in seattle that was amazing six mm -hmm. nights in a club and playing every night in a club with mccoy like wow we did a couple other gigs after that I think in 71, you had your your first lesson with Jim Hall, right? Yeah, or, you know, I, I think when I'm thinking, I think it was 72 now, if I remember. Okay, was, I'm, I'm wondering how, what you remember from that lesson? Well, I had met him, my teacher in Denver, Dale Bruning, he had come to Denver sometime before that, almost a year before that I met him I guess and he played in this club in Denver and that was unbelievable I couldn't believe it. and then I had left Denver I had gone to Boston and then I kind of just this is 1971 I went to Boston for the first time and I didn't take to it at all I just wanted to get out and I went and stayed with my parents in New Jersey and I guess I wrote Jim a letter or hmm. probably wrote him a letter I guess asked him if I could take some lessons and he said yes and and then I 
he was playing at this little club. It was called the guitar where they just had guitar players play. And him and Ron Carter were playing duo at this club. And I, again, I was with my dad and we went to hear that. And we got, the, I got there just as right on, it was like on ninth Avenue or something. We pulled up and we were, just walk crossing the street to go into the club and this cab pulls up and it's Jim getting out of the cab with his amp. So I helped him take his stuff inside. And that was before I had the lesson. And that was so cool to hear him in that. Wow. Mm -hmm. Anyway, then the, the, le I think, I mean, I've talked about this so many times. I think what, struck me i mean he was like something larger than life sort of a god you know for me uh like a movie star i mean it was like if he, if he was if i was meeting marilyn monroe or something you know it was just i couldn't but what happened when I went to that less the first lesson, I think it was Stella by Starlight. We we played some song. Yeah. And I guess the immediately what happened was the way he made me feel like I could actually play. What he played was so supportive of what I was playing mm -hmm. that he gave me the impression that I act wow, I can actually play. And then I realized that was this kind of one of his secrets for everybody that he played, you know, whether he was with Sonny Rollins or Bill Evans or Art Farmer or even me, the whole thing about him was trying to make the whole situation better and mm. make everybody. And then, you know, when I listened to the, I think that's what's all the groups that he played in or whoever he was playing with it was always he was always coming from the inside of the music out and talking about orchestrating you know he was like hearing the whole picture and he wouldn't play anything that wasn't propelling the whole thing forward or but it was it wasn't like coming in on top, top of it it was coming from like this down below and then subverting it in very subtle i think i don't know that's what i really still have always loved about what he i mean that that's what i carry with me all the time you know with whatever group i'm playing with i'm sort of always thinking about how do you make the whole thing sound good or make the whole thing sound what can you do to make it cool you know? <laughs> today um was the first time i listened to that record hemispheres of you guys i didn't oh, know yeah. about this record before and uh which was great so I, I checked it out and i was really really touched by how you guys 
dealt with each other. Um, oh. I, I was really moved by it because it wasn't like him being in a way your, you know, one of your role models or your, your teachers or what, what have you, you know, um, you didn't put him on a pedestal being like, okay, this is a kind of a feature record. Or you didn't also go into this kind of direction, like showing, you know, I can also play, you know, no, it was so egoless. And uh, so not that this is something that surprises me in your music, because this is always there, you know, Um, but but yeah, I was really touched by that and, and how you guys, I mean, that track, uh, Migration. Oh yeah, that was just, I just improvised. I couldn't, believe, or I couldn't believe the vibe on that. I, I mean, <laughs> how you dance around him or how you kind of created a, a vibe for him to just react to and, and, and how he then took this and not played kind of a solo on top but he did yeah. in a way he did the same right back at you you know in a way like yeah okay this is your yes this is your your vibe for me okay here's your here's the vibe for you that's that's what yeah. i got from it yeah no he yeah he was just so wide open to try anything not afraid you know mm. i couldn't believe this that I had I had eight lessons with him back 1972, right? So then I didn't see him until basically, so say 1972, I was this kid and I had these lessons. So then years and years go by. I went to Boston. I went to Europe. I came... I moved to New York, early 80s in New York. I hadn't seen Jim for 10 years or something. And I'm walking down 6th Avenue and I see him. And I, I, I go, you know, excuse me, Jim. And he goes, oh, oh, Bill, how's it? I mean, oh. I couldn't believe that he remembered me from all that time. It was just amazed me that he would remember there's no reason why he would remember me. I had no, there was no, and then, so anyway, then I sent him some stuff that I'd been doing and he, the way he responded was like, wow, you know, he, he's so humble. You know, he said, wow, I was teaching you and now you're teaching me. And, mm-hmm. and then, then he asked me to play a, a gig with him. And then we started actually playing gigs. First time I ever played at the village Vanguard was, with him that's how i got into the vanguard wow so anyway no well the first gig we did was a duet at the walker art center in minneapolis and that that was i just couldn't believe it it was amazing and then i guess soon after that he asked me to play with him at the village bank and that was with joey baron and Steve Laspina and then but then there were a bunch of we did a few duet things here and there um, like in Italy and there were a 
few gigs in Italy where we played duo concerts and stuff like that. I'm glad I, I checked that record out. <laughs> I have to, I haven't even listened to that either. I have to, I guess sometime I'm going to have to listen to all these things. But do you, okay, you don't listen to your records, but do you record yourself sometimes? Do you record gigs and listen back to them? No, I don't really like that. I, I mean, I do. We record all. <laughs> Claudia, who does the sound, she records everything. So I have all this stuff, but I really don't. There's something about, I just don't want to be holding on to something, whether it's good or bad or whatever. It's just, I want to, for me, one of the biggest, like, is the, when you play one night and something amazing happens, then the next night, the worst thing you can do is to be thinking about how great that was the night before and try to do it again, you know? I think yeah. everybody knows that by now. So um, <laughs> I'm just trying to just keep moving along and not hang on to whatever it was I did last. Mm -hmm. I guess. But you listen sometimes to something else right before you play? I don't, that I don't like. Like, ideally, I'd like to just have my mind clear <laughs> and not listen to anything before, right before I play whether it's a some other band or if it's a record or anything, mm -hmm. I'd rather just be blank, you know. That's works best for me. So I, it's frustrating. Sometimes like festivals when there's all these bands that I want to, I'd rather hear them after I play than I can. Yeah. I don't know. It's, for me, it's better to just have a blank slate. Yeah. I do remember though, Bill, when we played our duo, Bill, in I don't know if you remember this, oh, oh. but you actually listened to our set. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, you know, I knew we were going to play a double bill, but it didn't see you before. I saw you right when I came back from the stage. Uh -oh. I saw you <laughs> sitting there listening. Or, I mean, <laughs> and that kind of freaked me out. So I guess there's an exception to the. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do, you know, because then I want to know, you know, I want to. I don't know. I I have the same. I, I. I mean, if it's somebody like you, I will see the whole concert, you know. But if, if it's something I'd rather check out some other time, I might just see a a song or two, and then have yeah. something a little moment of quietness before, yeah. before the gig yeah it's, i think it's appropriate yeah <laughs> is there something like certain music that always gets you into the mood to play not not no not no it's not about you mean listening to something? Or? Yeah, listening to something that uh, not before a gig or something. But I have this sometimes when I'm I feel uninspired or I feel like I don't have any ideas or whatever. I listen to something that I know I love, and I will listen to it, and I know it will get me into the mood to be inspired again or be reminded about what I love about music. You know, mm. 
Yeah, I guess for me, it's it's almost like it's always something after. Like I like to my mind to be clear. I don't listen to stuff. I guess when I would listen to something, usually I don't know. That's unless it's something I'm trying to figure. Like I said, I was trying to figure out this Frank Sinatra thing or something. I was yeah. Or some sunny thing, and I was listening to it over and over and over again. But that's more about the learning thing. But mm-hmm. but if I want to listen to something just for the pleasure of listening, it'll be more later after I've... The thing I really love is just to be alone with... I mean, to have the time and space just with my guitar, with my mind being not really thinking about you know have it my mind be blank and then just see what i can mm-hmm. find you know? so how is it then with composition i mean you it seems to me you write a lot of songs and for a lot of different uh, settings and 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 bands but i mean that's the same that same blank thing it's like I just start going and okay, um, and then I write a lot more than I can. I'll just write whatever comes into my mind and try to not judge what it is, whether it's good or bad, and just let it come out. And then later I can go and see. Oh, that's pretty good. I can use that or. It's later, but to try to just let it, let it come out. That's so you, for me. you write it down pretty quickly. That's what I try to do. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes with a lot of times with the guitar, but sometimes just writing, trying to hear melodies and write it down, and and then the guitar will help me lead me into some other places too. Hmm. Yesterday I transcribed uh, "Signs of Life," your song. Oh wow! Oh, it's such a beautiful song. I oh, really wow. love it. I, w- I was wondering, is there a story behind it, or how you how you came to to write this song? Well, that all that music from that whole album is that was a. I mean, I was at this artist place up in Vermont, where it's for painters and writers and I was the only musician there and I so I had a a month just in a empty room where I just that's where I, I just wrote every day and that music from that whole album came out of that time there mm-hmm. that was amazing because I, I wrote the music and then the Jenny Scheinman and Hank Roberts and Avon King they came there and we tried what I had written and then we did a little concert at the place and then we went and recorded the album right after that so mm-hmm. that was that was great that's a beautiful record one of my favorites but that was an unusual that doesn't happen that often when I have that well now I've got this time again so yep we'll see what comes out of this huh? better better get busy <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to keep you 
it's good I talking mean, to you. It's great to talk to you. You've been, uh, you know, one of my big heroes. I was really excited to talk to you, and I'm still, you know, very excited. No. So thank you well, for being part for, of this. No, thanks for doing it. I hope I'll see you. I hope we can be in the same room at the same time one of these days. Yeah. I'd, I'd love that. I hope I get to see you soon, some somewhere and somehow. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Thank you.